but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast on the 27th of October. How's it going? I'm CJ Baumgartner. We're breaking down all that is in Minnesota sports here for today. So let's dive right in, and this is our What About Them Wednesdays. So we spend our Wednesdays talking about just uh, teams from uh, around our Minnesota sports uh, teams and just about uh, their, them. So we take a look at uh, division teams. We take a look at teams of the Vikings, Twins, Gophers, Wild, Wolves, you, know, you name it, have down the pipe, and we just take a look at them and just kind of look at it uh, in a different perspective here. So let's take a look, and this one is an interesting one. So let's start in the Big Ten West. Let's take a look at the Gophers' opponents in the Big Ten West. Now, taking a look at uh, taking a look at uh, this schedule here, uh, this is a big one in the Big Ten West coming up. I think it's kind of sorted itself out. Usually by about this point in the year, the standings kind of shake themselves out. You know, once you play a handful of Big Ten games, who is a realistic shot? of competing in the Big Ten West, who doesn't, what do we, uh, you know, what do we have going on, and what we have right now is that Minnesota and Iowa are tied for first in the Big Ten West at 3-1 and one in the conference, and this is big because obviously Minnesota has some winnable games coming up outside of two weeks, they have some potential, uh, potential to rattle off some wins and be considered at the end of the season, despite the Bowling Green loss, despite the issues with the passing game and with the running game, they still have a chance to be a very good team at the end of the year when it's all said and done. Now, it remains to be seen how good, but they have an opportunity. But we're not focused on Minnesota right now. We're focused on this matchup on Saturday between the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Wisconsin Badgers. This one is going to really be a big one. This is going to be in Camp Randall. Iowa so far is ranked number nine in the season, uh, in the country, I should say. And they're going to go into Camp Randall, and they're going to play on Saturday at 11 a.m. It's going to be a really big matchup, more than you think, because I know Wisconsin has had the two conference losses. I know Wisconsin hasn't been having a good season. But keep in mind, Wisconsin was having a terrible year last year, and they still came from behind, won a bunch of games, and still got themselves back into the conversation. Don't forget that in 2019, they did the exact same thing. They started slow, they won a bunch of games, and in a year where the Gophers had a 10-win season, you know who's uh, representing the Big Ten West in the conference championship game? It was Wisconsin, as much as I hate to say it. So the Wisconsin Badgers have a way just of sticking around and fighting at the end of the season, even though that they may have gotten a rough loss or two along the way. So the Badgers are 2-2 two and two right now in the conference, but keep in mind every other Big Ten West team already has a loss. If Wisconsin can beat Iowa, Iowa all of a sudden, and assuming the Gophers beat Northwestern, that means that the Gophers would be up at 3-1, and one, Wisconsin would be at 3-2 and two in second place because they would have the head-to-head over Iowa, who would move to having a 3-2 and two conference record. And if Wisconsin can just beat all the teams that they're supposed to beat, which looks like they could with Rutgers, Wisconsin, uh, with Rutgers, Northwestern, 
and Nebraska, two of those games at home, and the one you have to go on the road is against Rutgers. So they set up, and assuming that the Gophers could beat Iowa, then all of a sudden it's the Gophers only have one loss. Wisconsin only has two Big Ten losses. And if Wisconsin could beat Minnesota, well, boom, tiebreaker. Now all of a sudden uh, Wisconsin is representing the Big Ten West in the championship game. They still have a path and a viable path. It just depends on how they can play at home against Iowa, which is a realistic uh, possibility for them if they can get that win. And it's at home. It's going to be a close game. These are two teams that are built very similarly, at least historically. Uh, but this is a matchup that could really, really be interesting in the Big Ten West. And the one, I know that the Gophers, you know, you'd like Wisconsin to beat Iowa. Oh, now Iowa has two losses. But keep in mind that no matter what the result is of this game, the Gophers still have to beat Wisconsin and Iowa. That's If they're going to want to get to the Big Ten Championship game, they're going to at least have to beat one of these teams. Now, this game will tell us who beating who is more important, beating which team is more important. But it's going to be an interesting one. Now, if Iowa can get the win, now they position themselves to where the Gophers are going to have to beat Iowa. Anyways, it just cements that Wisconsin is at the very least not going to be in the Big Ten Championship game. Could they surpass the Gophers at some point in the standings? I mean, sure, if they lose to Wisconsin and Iowa, and the, and Wisconsin wins the rest of their games outside of the Iowa one, which is very realistic for them as well, and all the and all the, uh, all the the crap talk that the Gophers fans gave Wisconsin at the beginning of the year means nothing if they finish with a better record than you, and playing better teams, by the way, generally. So... This is gonna this is gonna be an interesting one to watch down the stretch for Wisconsin and Iowa, which are the only two real main competitions with the Gophers this year in the Big Ten West. So we have to see what's gonna happen on Sunday. Keep an eye or Saturday, excuse me. Keep an eye out for that one because that is going to be the matchup to watch when it comes to the Gophers this weekend. Yeah, the Gophers they're playing Northwestern. Northwesterns they're not good this year, but they're well coached. You're on the road. It's going to probably be just a, a crappy road environment in terms of the weather. You know, it's a weird stadium down there in Evanston. It, it really is uh, just because it's not a giant football stadium. It's kind of feels kind of secluded and, and all that kind of stuff. So, and Northwestern is a well coached team. Pat Fitzgerald has been there forever at this point. So don't count out Northwestern and don't count out the Gophers not laying an egg because, after all, they laid an egg at home against Bowling Green. And I'm sorry, you, lo you lose to Bowling Green. You're not gonna. We're not gonna just say, "Oh well, losing to Ohio State at home in Week One, losing Muhammad Ibrahim halfway through the game." You're like, "Oh well, they played hard. You know, whatever. Figure it out." Now, losing to Bowling Green, that's not acceptable. There's, you will not get a pass for that one. So, the the Gophers. Again, have to not watch the Iowa-Wisconsin game, but just the result of the Iowa-Wisconsin game. Gophers fans should be taking a look at and know that that's going to play a big impact for them at uh, this season for the rest of the way going forward just on how their Big Ten West hopes look like and who is going to be that main competitor. Whoever wins this game is going to be the Gophers' On a bullet, number one, we need to make sure that we beat this team if we want to get into the Big Ten Championship game. But the truth is, and this has always been the secret, if the Gophers really want to get into the Big Ten Championship game, you know what they're going to have to do? Beat Iowa and Wisconsin. This is not, I mean, this isn't anything new. So I, I'm i not repeating anything new here. Everybody knows that. But this Iowa-Wisconsin matchup is going to be a big one. But keep in mind, though, the last time the Gophers had a chance to win the Big Ten or to represent the Big Ten West. They had to beat either 
Iowa or Wisconsin, they lost to both of them. And in 2013, the Gophers had a chance, either 2013 or 2014, I think it was 2014, the Gophers had a chance to represent themselves in the Big Ten West, and they had to beat Iowa and Wisconsin. They beat Iowa, but they had to beat Wisconsin on that final game of the season, of the regular season, and they couldn't. So you're going to have to beat both of them this year. That's just going to be the case if you want a chance getting into the Big Ten West, because the Big Ten West spot in the championship game. Because Iowa's schedule so far, looking at them through the rest of the season, it's it's pretty cupcakey. Uh, all the Big Ten West teams are just playing each other at this point. There's no East-West crossover with these three top teams. Iowa's going to play Wisconsin, then they're going to play Northwestern, then they host the Gophers, and then... Uh, they host Illinois and then go on the road to Nebraska. So it is uh, it's going to be an interesting one down the stretch. Basically, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa just have each other circled on their calendars. Now, Iowa and Wisconsin only have one really tough game to go, and the Gophers have two. So again, this is it's a very compelling. It's a it's a three team race. Even though the Badgers have a the outside chance, there's still a good chance for them to come in and make some noise in that Big Ten West. So it's going to be one, an interesting one, to follow so far. All right, now let's take a look here at the Minnesota Vikings in the What About Them Wednesdays. And I want to take a look now at uh, the Detroit Lions. And I know that's kind of weird. It, Detroit has basically become a meme, especially over the last uh, handful of weeks, because everybody, like, we all know the Lions are bad, we all know that they're not going to win a lot of games this year, but they don't have a win yet, and we're almost into November. Now, they have a good chance against the Eagles this week, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. I just want to talk about the Lions, though, because, you know, I they're a bad team. Let's, let's just get that out of the way. They couldn't rush for anything last week. Jared Goff is not a good quarterback. Their offensive line has some pieces, but just ev everything about Detroit uh, is has not been great. There, there have been some areas where you're impressed with. I think the biggest one is the coaching, not necessarily in that there's been world-class game plans, but just the fact of that there seems to be, unlike the last head coach in Detroit, Matt Patricia, that there seems to be some buy-in with Dan Campbell. Now, maybe it's year number one. Maybe all the losses stack up and things change. Maybe year number two, they keep losing and things, you know, but at the moment, in a vacuum, it looks like that the Detroit Lions players are buying into Dan Campbell which right away at the opening press conference when he was talking about ripping off, biting kneecaps and, and all that kind of stuff in the introductory press conference, everybody kind of had that P.J. Fleck thing. It's like, whoa, this dude is a lot. And are the players going to buy into that? And is he going to get kind of that cultural buy-in that he's looking for? Now in the Gophers, there is 100% cultural buy-in. But when you look at the Lions, they just had a guy named Matt Patricia who tried to be Bill Belichick, and clearly the Lions looked at him and said, you are you are nowhere near Bill Belichick, and we will not give you any respect at all. You are Bill, but you are trying to be, be the jerk. You're trying to be the jerkiness of Belichick without any of the accolades that come with Bill Belichick, and, and that's why he got run out of town. I mean, doing things like making them practice outside in Detroit in December when they were playing a game at home against the Vikings. Like, I, I, what, what is your logic there? To, to toughen them up? Players, making players run, like, just straight-up condition during a regular season practice when you should be using that time to actually get better, like, actually game plan for an opponent? You have so little practice time in the NFL where you can actually put the shoulder pads and helmets on. If you can even put shoulder pads on, 
you have so little time just to get your game plan implemented and get everybody going, and you choose it to make them run laps like they're in the 12th grade. Yeah, no, sorry, these are grown men. They don't, they see through that. And there was some, there were some things where maybe you looked at Dan Campbell and you thought maybe there's a little bit of that as well. Maybe Detroit wasn't going to get uh, that buy-in and things were going to fall apart and they'd have to be go for, uh, fishing for a new head coach again. But I genuinely think that this team is buying into Dan Campbell. I made fun of Dan Campbell for for crying at, at the end of uh, at the end of that game against the Vikings. Like, man, I I know that you're stuck in Detroit. But, man, please don't do this in the press conference. It's just awkward to watch because you are a big dude. You are a tough dude. And, yeah, tough guys cry. Yeah, whatever. You know, I, I'm not I'm not, I'm not. not trying to make fun of him just because he was crying. But it's just like, man, it's tough to watch. It's just kind of that. It's just You can see that very well playing an episode of The Office where Steve Carell is, like, trying to address The Office about something and is crying uh, because something didn't happen that he wanted to. You know, you could totally just see that happening and everybody just kind of sitting there cringily awkward. That's kind of the Dan Campbell crying at the end of the press conference. But Detroit, you're ruining Dan Campbell, man. He seems like he actually would be a fun coach to play for. Like, what is going on? He seems like he, I mean, did you watch? Uh, I mean, I, I know that certain people couldn't get the game, but if you were able to watch any parts of the Rams and Lions game over the weekend, you saw a team that had no business even being in that game against the juggernaut and on the road, and you put up a fight. You Dan Campbell had a fake punt, a onside kick, and went for it on about every fourth down, and it almost worked. It Almost worked. Hint, hint, Mike Zimmer, be aggressive. Hint, hint. Uh, but uh, it almost worked. And, you know, if you would have gotten that win, that would have been a statement win, and they could have lost the rest of the games that season, but Detroit could have felt good knowing that they had that one week where they were able to coach up and play well. But the Lions team feels like they're, they've just had so much bad luck. I mean, you think of allowing the Vikings to come back after tying the game. You think of Justin Tucker making the 66-yard field goal or whatever, something crazy it was. The Lions have been the unluckiest team in the NFL this year, I think, bar none. But uh, but they're, they're, they're bound for a win. I know the he's due kind of thing. But in, in baseball, we say it a lot because there's so many at-bats. There's so many opportunities to where, like, eventually, if they're a good enough player, it's just going to happen. But uh, – but in the NFL, you just have so limited amount of chances. But the Lions are going to get a chance to get their first win. And I think that they're going to be able to take it out against the Eagles at home. I think that's a good one to try and get a win. Um, otherwise, it, you kind of they have a bye week and then they play the Steelers, which knowing Pittsburgh, they could totally play down to their competition and lose to Detroit. Then you have the Browns. You have the Bears at home, which now looking at Justin Fields and how the the Bears are completely hanging him out to dry. It's... Uh, it looks like maybe you got a win there. Vikings, I would never put it past them. Even the year the Lions lost all of their games, the Vikings still uh, the Vikings still almost lost to them each time. They had to fight till the end. But uh, the Falcons is another one. Maybe the I mean Russell Wilson will be back by the time they play the Seahawks. But there there's still that. I think the Eagles, honestly, maybe the Broncos. Those they, those are their two best chances. This is probably a two three win team at best. And if they could finish the season going, what, like 6-3 and three or, or, or whatever uh, their record is at this point, uh, or 3-6, and six, excuse me, uh, you know, 3-5 and five or whatever their record would end up amounting to be, uh, it, would be a, uh, it would be a success, I think, for Detroit. Uh, but the, the Eagles are probably their best chance. I mean, the Eagles 
on the year. I know that they've played a couple teams tough. They haven't been necessarily awful. They're two and three, but keep in mind the NFC is very, very bad this year. Uh, the Eagles, they haven't won a game since beating the Panthers a few weeks ago. They got beat by the Buccaneers on Thursday night. They got uh, beat by the Raiders last week. And I think that there's a chance if the Lions want to get their first win, that's going to have to come through there. But, man, I, here's the thing. Detroit, and this is why I'm talking about the Detroit Lions and the What About Them Wednesdays on a Minnesota-themed podcast, is that it's Detroit is going to be bad this year. They're probably going to be bad next year. But you got to look at Detroit and see, is there actually a viability for a turnaround? And this is what it matters to the Vikings fans. This is what matters. You can look at the other teams and try and learn from them. Does it look like that there is going to be some kind of turning point at some point? The answer is yes. If It looks like people are buying in to Dan Campbell. If they can even just rattle off a few wins uh, to close out the second half of the season, then there's a little bit of confidence. You, you can say the whole, we gelled at the right time and this team came together. We saw improvement, yada, yada, yada. You get a couple more. Keep in mind, they have LA's draft picks for the next couple of years. They're going to uh, they're going to be able to have some dra extra draft picks. They're going to be able to make the most of that. And with uh, with that, and they can try and build. I believe they have a lot of salary cap room. And they're going to dump Goff eventually. Goff, they're just taking on a salary, and they want a veteran quarterback to just kind of oversee this rebuild. And once they get to the final year of Goff's contract, they're either going to ditch him or they are going to get a new quarterback at some point. Either one of those two scenarios is going to happen. But uh, but that's just but here's what it matters to the Vikings fans. It looks like that there is the potential for them to turn it around. It looks like they are going to be able to turn a corner in about a year or two where you really see the team start to pick up if it all stays on course. And by the way, even though they're 0-7, there is a clear vision there. There is a clear team that looks like they're trying to build to something. They just have to get through this bad. They have to get through a season or two of this bad team. And why it matters to the Vikings fans is Mike Zimmer doesn't have a bad culture in Minnesota, by the way. It's not a rebuke of Mike Zimmer's culture or the way that he runs the uh, the team, in a sense, that runs the locker room, or just has that culture with the team. I don't think it's – and culture is overrated sometimes, so I'm not going to get into the big culture, culture, culture like I do with the Wild. But I think it's the in-game things. Dan Campbell's aggressive. Dan Campbell is trying to show his team, hey, I believe in you guys to make plays – Let's go out and do it. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to be a little more rah-rah. Zimmer's rah-rah in different areas. There's, I think Zimmer and Campbell have emotion. Campbell obviously is a lot more, and he uses it in different ways. But Zimmer, you know, the screaming, it, people think it's always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. It gives him kind of that, uh, you know, the Zimmer at the end of games getting, uh, getting excited as well. Uh, with people like Cousins, Th those are things that are endearing to the team. And I think it's not just always about having raw passion. I think it's about how do you channel that excitement that you have in Zimmer or Campbell or whatever, and how can you use it to get your team behind you? And I think Zimmer does that well, actually. Zimmer is a very much a player's coach. Players love playing for Zimmer because of that reason as well. And, uh, but here's the thing with Zimmer. Be more aggressive. I think I know Dan Campbell is overly aggressive, and he had to be because his team wasn't good. But Mike Zimmer, you're going to be playing a five-game stretch where your team is going to be expected to lose every single time. Go in, be aggressive, kick them in the gut, punch them in the gut, the, what, you know, whatever, whatever boxing analogy you want to go. Hit them in the face right away and knock them back and say, we're going to keep punching. We're not just going to try and get a lead and hope we can run off the clock against you guys. 
We don't just think we can beat you. We think we are a better football team straight up. And that's what you're going to have to do if you're Mike Zimmer. And that's what you got to learn from Dan Campbell. All right. Now let's take a look at the tw uh, the uh, Wild. Excuse me. We'll go to the Wild in the What About Them Wednesdays. By the way, they got a big win in Vancouver last night. You know, we talk about the versatility of the Wild. And even though they had a bad loss at home against a team that they should have beat, you know what they do? They go on the road all the way out west to Vancouver. They go play a night game and after a couple days off, and they play well. They played well. They got a good win. It was 3-2. to two. The Wild end up coming out on top, and that's the resiliency of this Wild that we like to see is that bad loss. They shake it off, and they go back. And we'll talk a little bit more about Kirill Kaprizov tomorrow. You know, that's now been the discussion is him through the first five games of the season. If there's something we should be uh, there's something we should be worried about with him, we'll talk that about that a little bit more tomorrow on the podcast. But looking at the Wild, looking at their uh, looking at their competition out there uh, with. Uh, Looking at their competition here out in the uh, the Central, I was about to say the West because of, of last season, but in the Central Division, uh, right now the Wild sit in second place with a 5-1 and one mark. They're tied with the Blues for first place, actually, with 10 points so far on the season. The Blues are technically undefeated. Now, you know, some overtime wins and all that with the points and whatnot kind of getting shifted around. Uh, in points, they are tied despite that the Blues are undefeated so far. Now, it's only through six games, and the Blues have only played five, so you know, it's really hard to uh, it's really hard to kind of make a huge difference. I will say St. Louis has a plus 14 differential in goals scored to goals allowed. The Wild only have two. Now, the Wild have played, I think, a one goal. Every win has been a one-goal game, and uh, the one loss was, a, uh, was, I believe, a two- to three-goal loss. So a little bit of a little bit of reason why in that kind of statistics early in the season. But again, is it a little too early to look at the standings? Yes. But looking at how this division division has shaped out so far early, the Blues jumping out has been kind of surprising. There was the Tarasenko stuff during the offseason. You know, what are they going to do with him? They were a team that kind of felt like they kind of needed to figure out what they wanted to do. You know, where were they going to go? They're kind of, after winning a cup a couple of years ago, they kind of felt stuck. And if they needed to kind of try and not rebuild, but just kind of reshuffle a little bit, or if they needed to keep running with that core that won them a title. And they're... Right now they're 5-0, so they are enjoying some early season success. The Wild right behind them. Winnipeg has had a, uh, you know, kind of a, a muddled start. They're 3-2. They have seven points right now. And again, starting out 3-2 and two isn't necessarily bad because you uh, you just don't want to sink your season early. They're, you know, they're uh, looking at that. And then the Predators right now, or uh, the Jets are 3-2-1. I should uh, I should say looking at the Predators they're three and four they got a win against the Wild they got them half their points so far this season but uh, don't take too much uh, don't take too much with the Preds they're not really going to turn things around this year they're kind of in a rebuild that they kind of need to be but uh, the Stars are three and three as well they only have six points uh, that's going to be one to watch the Stars are going to be a competitor for the Wild they're going to be a uh, they're going to be a rival in the sense of that Ryan Suter went over there just because of how much they're going to play each other. Uh, looking at Dallas, they've had uh, some tougher teams to play so far in the season. Uh, they beat the Rangers on opening night, but other than that, they have a loss to the Bruins, a loss in Ottawa, uh, and then beating up on the Penguins and Stars, and then a loss to the Blue Jackets. So they're a team that's kind of been up and down. They'll, they're good enough where they're going to see some uh, some 
uh, return to form a little bit. And a team that's really going to see a return to form, by the way, is the Colorado Avalanche. They started the season two and four. They only have four points. When you look at the uh, when you look at the teams that they've played, they've been they've had some tougher opponents since the start of the season. They started out the season. They beat Chicago. Then they lose to the St. Louis at home. Not an ideal one. But then you play the Caps. You give up six goals to them. And so again, you've given up. Uh, in the first three games, you've given up about 13 goals, and then you give up four to the Panthers on the road. You beat Tampa Bay, though, and then you lose to Vegas. So when you look at the first few games for Colorado, you just see a team, and I know that that's been the thing, is, people are, is Colorado in trouble? They're not in trouble. They're a good enough team. They have enough depth. They have enough coaching. Darcy Kemper in net, though, you know, wild fans will tell you, don't rely on this guy to be uh, – to be a clutch performer for you. And early in the season, even it's been a struggle, but the Avs are a good enough team. They're going to turn it around. Two teams who will not turn it around, by the way, are the Coyotes and the Blackhawks. They are, uh, they're stuck in the bottom, both teams without a win so far this season. And it, unless Chicago can turn things around, you know, rip Mark Andre Fleury, cause it has not been a, uh, not been a great start for the, uh, for the goaltending. And I'm not sure hundred percent what games Andre Fleury has played in, uh, this season, but they've they've been uh, giving up a decent amount of goals here so far on the season. When you look at in net, you have uh, who was again acquired in the trade. It was a big deal, uh, and we'll get to the uh, now. Mark Andre Fleury gave up four goal or uh, yeah gave up uh, four goals against Colorado. Looking at his uh, looking at his stat line this season for Mark Andre Fleury, who is a big get for the Blackhawks by the way, and was just Vegas's way of just dumping him off. For almost nothing, uh, his goal—he's given up in four games. He's given up 18 goals, and not not great, you know, averaging over, you know, averaging uh, in terms of uh, your goals against average. That is 5.75. Not not great. No, he's faced a lot of shots, but at the same time, you know, it's uh, hasn't been a great start for uh, Andre Fleury. To this season, and the Blackhawks are going to be bad. There was that uh, sexual assault investigation, and uh, you know, I I didn't really read into the report too much. I again, you know, the Blackhawks have been a rival, but they're not. I haven't read too much into that, but all I know is that basically they had some cover-ups going on in their uh, front office, and or at least the front office knew about it, and they got fined two million dollars. And you think that's a lot, and it is a lot of money to get fined, but. I believe it was the Coyotes got fined $3 million for manipulating the salary cap. So it's worse in the eyes of Gary Bettman in the NHL to manipulate the salary cap than it is to cover up sexual assault within your organization? I, I'm sorry, man. This, this this kind of thing with franchise, the, it, this isn't a rip on the NHL itself because you could see baseball. You could see the NFL doing this. I actually don't think the NBA. I think Silver would know his priorities on that one, but... Again, when it comes to the owners, you can really uh, never tell. But it's uh, $2 million and uh, less than if your team manipulated the salary cap. So remember, kids, uh, you know, hiding that stuff, that's all fine and dandy, but don't you dare mess with the pocketbooks of the owners and uh, manipulate the salary cap against uh, that would make it unfair. You don't want to do that. It would be very unsettled. So that's, uh, that's your Blackhawks dig here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Now let's take a look here at uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves so far this season. And with the Timberwolves, uh, they, again, they had a practice yesterday. We talked about it yesterday on the podcast. 
how Ant could really step up and become kind of the leader that this team needs. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more as the season goes on, just the way that he bluntly was like, yeah, we need to do better in X. We need to do better in Y. We need to do this and this. Here's what we need to figure out. So it's uh, it's refreshing to see a guy like that, especially in comparison to Towns, who, again, I'm not saying Towns has to be that guy, but you know what? If you're Towns, if you're D'Lo, let Anthony Edwards be that guy. Let him be the guy who goes out in his rah-rah. Let him be that guy. And by the way, the Timberwolves had a, quote, testy practice uh, yesterday, as uh, either yesterday or today, but believe it was yesterday. And it just, again, it, it shows that this team is different than other teams. They're like, ah, bad loss. Oh, well, all right, well, back to the thing, do whatever. This is a team, and I don't know as much of it's Patrick Beverly. I don't know if it's just Finch being uh, there for a year, now able to kind of push his uh, push his uh, weight, uh, whatever wording you want to use, his weight, his uh, vision, uh, onto the team. Or if it's, you know, just guys holding each other more accountable. But the guys were a little rougher. The guys were a little more on edge. They were a little more like, we expect better from ourselves. And you know what? That's good. It's so good, and it's refreshing. Now, I don't know if it's going to translate into wins for the Wolves. Uh, they're playing in Milwaukee tonight. We'll see how they play against Giannis and how Cat matches up. Uh, but it is, uh, it's a welcome sign to see that at least the Wolves are starting to expect more from themselves. Even though I don't believe they can get there until they actually prove it, They need, uh, it's not going to change unless they tell themselves that that's where they need to be. And taking a look at the Western Conference right now, because, uh, again, divisions in basketball don't matter. They've, they never really mattered, but the NBA officially a few uh, about like eight years ago got rid of even conferences mattering at all. Uh, so the Warriors, by the way, are 4-0 to start the season. Now, whether it's just uh, they've, you know, they, they've just kind of played well in the first handful of games, whatever you want it to be. But this Warriors team, they have Draymond back. They have – or they have Clay Thompson back, excuse me. They have Draymond They have Steph. They have all of that, you know, that kind of core outside of Kevin Durant and a few others. I mean, Durant being the big one, but there's still a team that's going to make the playoffs and there's still a team that's expected to be in the top half of the West for sure, especially getting getting Clay Thompson back was so huge for this team. Getting him healthy, they're going to be, if he can come back and return to form, they're going to be good, by the way. They're, they're still going to be good. And in a West that is tough, but not as uh, top-heavy dominant, you know, there's still a chance that they could go in there and make something. Uh, now, again, this is way too early, but the... Don't count them out. Don't don't think just because the Warriors don't have Durant anymore that all of a sudden they're not a they don't have the potential to be considered a title contender because they very well do. Because by the way, their wins at at the Staples Center they beat the Lakers at home they beat the Clippers they beat the Kings whatever but they also beat the Trailblazers as well thoroughly or uh, sorry that was a preseason game but they also beat the Thunder thoroughly I should say on the road so this is a team. And they have some easy uh, games against the Grizzlies, the Thunder, Hornets, Pelicans, I mean, Rockets. I mean, outside of maybe like a slip-up or maybe a rest night here and there, there's a good chance that they start the season uh, about like 8-1, and one, something crazy like that to get off to a really hot start. And then, again, the Golden State Warriors have an easy schedule in front of them. They take advantage of it. Hint, hint, Timberwolves. And outside of this game against Milwaukee, uh, and then Denver coming up next, you have the Magic, a team that you should beat, and you have the Clippers twice. I mean, this is an easy stretch for the Wolves that they should take advantage of at this point in the season, and we'll see if they can uh, we'll see if they can do it because they blew the opportunity to start three and zero against the Pelicans without Zion. Now it gets a little bit tougher 
And uh, we'll see them play those Warriors in a little bit, by the way. But taking a look at the rest of the Western Conference standings, Jazz starting out well. That's expected. Um, and, again, every team is just kind of 2-1 and one at this point, 1-2. and two. You know, it's early in the year, so you really don't want to make too much of it. You know, the, t the usual suspects, the Thunder, the Rockets, the Spurs don't look like anything. The Pelicans aren't going to be good. Uh, the Kings will eventually wash out. So it's the, you know, the Suns are one and two, but don't worry about it. The Trailblazers are one and two. Don't worry about it. It's still early in the year. You just don't want to sink your team. And in the NBA, they still have a chance to really catch themselves up. So there isn't too much. But I will say in the What About Them Wednesdays, look at the Warriors. Look at that infrastructure that they have. And it's going to allow them to end up being back in that conversation, at least in the top tier teams in the West. Lakers starting out two and two. Man, not going to worry about it. Well, we'll, I'm sure, end up talking about them as the season goes on as well. Let's take a look at the Minnesota Twins now. Nelson Cruz uh, won the Roberto Clemente Award, and it's uh, basically like the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Um, just community service, just overall, you win the good guy award. And you know, Nelson Cruz is a good guy. And even though, yeah, sure, he got traded from Minnesota halfway through the year, as a Twins fan, I will take all the good news I can get. So, yeah, Nelson Cruz. Roberto Clemente, man of the year, whatever uh, wording they want to use. Nelly, good guy. Uh, but let's take a look now. We talked in the What About Them Wednesdays about uh, where the Twins stacked up in the AL Central. But I want to look at a different kind of What About Them. I want to look at guys that the Twins had and let go. And I wrote about this earlier this week in an article for Zone Coverage. There's my shameless plug. Go read the article. But uh, I'm going to kind of talk about the highlights here. And it's a... Uh, now, I talk about three twins who would have been more valuable than Eddie Rosario. Because we talked about last week, Rosario won the NLCS MVP. He had three home runs in the series, and it, he just was a, a big-time, I believe it was three or four maybe, uh, but just was a big-time player for the uh, for the Braves and was a big reason why they were able to beat the Dodgers and put him away. And now they won game one of the World Series last night. Now, Rosario didn't really have too much to do with that, but... Uh, Again, still on the team. He still has a chance to compete for a World Series ring, and he's not the only one, by the way. But Eddie Rosario made sense for him to move on from the Twins. The Twins were not going to pay him 10 to $12 million to play the outfield where he was already— Eddie Rosario is the definition of a fun but flawed player. When he's throwing guys out at the plate and taking pitches at his eyeballs into the second deck, it's fun— when he's taking pitches at his eyeballs and stuffing them into the ground or popping them up a mile high, or when he's outgunning um, the other, you know, when he's outgunning the cutoff man and throws it into the dugout, that's times where you get frustrated with him. But, uh, you know, I, I think that it made sense to lose Rosario. I'm not losing sleep that Eddie Rosario is not in a Twins uniform anymore. I'm actually happy for Eddie Rosario. It was just a natural time to change. Kirloff, Larnick, uh, Rooker, some of these other guys needed to take that spot. And it was just naturally going to happen. But here are a few other Twins that the Twins should be regretting losing. Number one is Lamont Wade Jr. And this is just low-hanging fruit. This is just picking on the Twins for giving away Wade. But uh, they traded him for Sean Anderson, which is a guy that they were trying – a guy that they were trying to add. Get some pieces to kind of restock the bullpen. It made sense in a vacuum because Lamont Wade was the fourth outfielder on a team that had a lot of outfielders. And – you're trading him to San Francisco. You get a young bullpen piece. Yeah, sure, we can do something with that. Uh, Anderson only pitched six innings for the Twins. If you're like, dang, who's Sean Anderson? Did he ever play? No, he only played six innings, and he was released and finished the year with Baltimore and, by the way, got released from there and went to the San Diego Padres. 
So, yeah, he, he bounced around a little bit. Anderson couldn't find his way into a Minnesota bullpen, by the way, that ranked 20th with a 4.39 ERA. And uh, Lamont Wade Jr., how was he doing? You know, and, and, again, in a vacuum, it made sense. And I wrote about this at the time uh, in the spring, I should say, is that the Twins have some outfield depth. You know, they have uh, Jake Cave can play in a vacuum. He can play for a couple weeks and hold down the fort until Kirilov gets there. Well, what happens when Kirilov got hurt? What happens when Larnick didn't wasn't quite ready to play in the big leagues or at least needed to take some time to go back down to St. Paul and figure things out? And all of a sudden, and you didn't have that Kyle Garlick, who, you know, was fine in a vacuum, would have been a decent fourth outfielder, but not not a guy you want to play multiple stretches. What happens when Byron Buxton got hurt? And all of a sudden, your outfield depth was gone. Max Kepler was hurt for stretches, too. You just had nobody in your outfield. You were just, you were throwing in Luis Arise on the regular. That's I love Luis Arise, but in the field, in the outfield, no, he should it is not not good. Uh, so Brent Rooker wasn't able to get up either after a slow start. Uh, so you just having a guy like Lamont Wade would have been nice because Lamont, uh, Wade became a solid piece of a Giants lineup that won 107 games. He hit 18 home runs. He had a, a Fangraphs WAR of just above one, which in 109 games, which isn't you know it's not like high. It's not like he was a MVP candidate or anything, but not only did he take the next step at the plate, which is what the Twins really didn't see out of him. They were kind of just like as a nice fielder who, you know, is a little disciplined, but more disciplined than Rosario, but doesn't really have the power. Uh, he had 18 home runs last season for the Giants, by the way, but uh, he was one of the best hitters in the league in high leverage situations. How many times were you watching Quick Pitch or Sports Center or just scrolling through Twitter and you were seeing the highlights and all of a sudden Lamont Wade Jr. was hitting a big home run for the Giants late in games? Uh, according to Fangraphs, he recorded a clutch rating of 2.2. And that doesn't sound really good, but for reference, a mark of 2 is considered excellent. That's the highest you can get. 2 is like you're in the MVP level of hitters. So that's uh, that's been how it's been going for Lamont Wade Jr., by the way, just having a great season. And uh, they may have regretted losing Rosario, but again, he would have been $10-plus million in arbitration. But Wade had four years left of team control. Even if the Twins didn't want Wade in the future, they could have said, wow, Wade had a really good season, took the next step of the plate. Now let's trade him for a reliever better than Sean Anderson. I think the moral of the story is that uh, – you shouldn't trade with the Giants, first of all, because they had the one trade for, uh, I, I'm blanking on his name, uh, a couple of years ago. It was another bullpen piece. It was with Sergio Romo because they got him from uh, from the Marlins at the time. But they got another uh, reliever who ended up not even playing for the Twins at all. They gave up a couple nice prospects. I mean, not big-time prospects. They gave a couple prospects for, uh, for nothing because he never pitched an inning for the Twins and had domestic assault allegations and an injury. He had an injury that the Giants either didn't know about or didn't report, and then had sexual assault allegations on him that caused him to never play for the Twins. So don't trade with the Giants anymore, Falvine. What the heck? Uh, yeah, so not not great for uh, Lamont Wade Jr. or losing Lamont Wade Jr. Jake Odorizzi is another one. Now, this one might not be as definitive, but Odorizzi was a solid veteran for the Twins. He helped stabilize the rotation over the last couple seasons where you won the division twice, and his most significant contribution, of course, came in 2019 when he made the All-Star game on an incredible first half. Still finished the year strong, 3.5 ERA, 160 innings, all that kind of stuff, but uh, he had his career best in terms of allowing less than one home run per nine innings and having a strikeout rate of 10 per nine innings. And uh, 
They signed Odorizzi to the qualifying offer in 2020. He didn't really play. He only had just about 13 innings last season. But uh, they didn't bring him back, whether it was due to a lack of money, lack of interest. I thought a one-year kind of prove-it deal to Odorizzi, maybe give him a little bit more than he's worth, but say, you know, you've been a good pitcher. We're going to give you some money, come back, pitch for us, reset the market on yourself, and come back strong next year. Uh, he didn't want to do that. Uh, and Houston gave him a multi-year deal. He got a three-year, $23.5 million deal, which for Odorizzi being a third to five starter, and especially on a good rotation, you're probably a four or five starter, maybe a long reliever in playoff situations. That's a pretty nice deal. And uh, he's bounced back with a decent year, 4.2 ERA in 104 innings. He kept, He's still keeping the home run rate down. Um, his veteran presence is on a top 10 Astros rotation, by the way, 3.7 ERA. And Odorizzi is pitched last night in game one in a long relief role. Uh, so he's in the World Series. He's contributing for uh, he's contributing for Houston in a World Series team that's uh, slated to, I, I mean, based on the betting odds right now, they are expected to be the World Series champions, even though they lost game one. And the Twins starting rotation after trading Barrios, after losing Maeda, guys like J.A. Happen. Your replacement for Odorizzi, by the way, was Matt Schumacher. Just remember that, by the way. Matt Schumacher was supposed to be the new Odorizzi. How did that work out for you guys? How did that work out? I'm sure the Twins just didn't use him right. You know, that's what Schumacher said. It's not just that he's bad. The Twins starting rotation, by the way, had a 4.38 team ERA, a whole run higher than the Astros rotation ERA. You know, Odorizzi wouldn't have been 2019 self. Even if he was more to this version than he is this year, the Twins still would have taken that in a heartbeat. And by the way, was a guy who liked being in Minnesota. And lastly, here we have Matt Whistler, who was a great find by Falvey and Thad Levine, part of that bullpen in 19, uh, part of that bullpen in 20, in 2020, where it was a, it was a really great bullpen. And it was the time where like Falvey can find, you know, they, they got guys like May, who was a, a big time draft, uh, a big time draft pick with the Phillies, got traded over, was a big time kind of prospect for you, starter, moved into the bullpen. You had guys like Sergio Romo, who had been around the block a time or two. You had guys like Rogers, who developed nicely. But Whistler was the first time where the Twins really took a guy out of nowhere and not only made him effective, but made him dominant. He had, in 25 innings last year, had an ERA of just above one, a 1.14 whip and a strikeout rate of 12.5 per nine innings. And, you know, whether the Twins didn't want to bring him back because of a – it wasn't money, by the way. It was only $1.5 million. So it wasn't money, but it's more likely that they didn't think he could repeat that full production in a 162-game season. And he didn't initially because a Whistler got off to a rough start with the Giants – Eventually got claimed, and who picks him up but the Tampa Bay Rays, where he ends up finishing the season with a 3.7 ERA, still does pretty well, and uh, ends up pitching in the postseason, by the way. And the Twins thought that they could replicate the success with Whistler. Instead, they try and find guys like Hansel Robles. Didn't turn out very well. I mean, Alexander Colome, forget, I mean, Whistler would have cost $1.5 million. The Twins paid Alex Colomay $6 million to blow every single save for the first two months of the season. So, safe to say that Falvin didn't really have a great offseason last year, and there's almost nowhere to go but up. But this is the What About Them Wednesdays. It's kind of the Where Are They Now? You know, we you know that special that used to be. Uh, that's kind of what it is with these uh, Twins players that they just let go, and for almost nothing. 
I mean, Odorizzi for nothing, Whistler for nothing, and Lamont Wade Jr. for basically nothing either because Sean Anderson only pitched six innings. These are just three players that the Twins gave away, even if they, all three of them were long-term options. You know, Odorizzi left him for agency. Uh, Whistler just wasn't retained uh, off uh, arbitration. But, man, they, they blew it. I think Falvin blew it last season. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here. And they can only go up, which is what I've been saying before. But that'll do it here for the What About Them Wednesdays on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We'll be back out tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.